Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. What would we do without our Bibles? Well, on today's program, we continue our current series, Celebrating the Word of God. So let's listen now to a message called The Necessity of the Bible, based on Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 17. I think it's probably a good thing to move every once in a while, because especially if you're married, this will lead to some rather, shall we say, interesting conversations. What do we keep and what do we throw away? What's an absolute necessity and what is something we can really live without? How about that lamp or that couch or that desk? And how about those clothes? Those of you who have ever downsized have had that discussion, and perhaps you remember that it was a painful discussion. But what if you had to do without your Bible? Could you still function? Well, as you know, a great many people do function without their Bible. Before the Bible was written, the world did. And indeed, even while the Old Testament was being written, those books were really just available to Israel. The rest of the world went on their way without any knowledge of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, or the prophets. And then even after it was written, before the invention of the printing press, the luxury of having a Bible in your home that you could have as a part of your daily devotional life, well, that simply wasn't possible. And furthermore, during the Middle Ages, the church actually forbade people from having one. You might know that John Wycliffe actually dared translate the Bible into English, and it started a great controversy whether such a thing should be allowed or not. Luther translated the Bible into German, and that also was roundly condemned. I'm saying this because it might seem like the Bible is a privilege or even a luxury, but a necessity. And if it is, well, a great portion of the human story went on without it. And what was their lot? Well, let's talk about that by first asking and answering the question of what we would know about God and a response to him if we had no Bible at all. In Psalm 19, verse 1, David said that the heavens declare the glory of God. Therefore, it is possible to look at the created order and to come to some kind of a conclusion about the Creator. When Paul was preaching in Lystra during his first missionary journey, he makes a statement that explains God's relationship with the nations prior to the coming of Christ. Acts 14, verses 16 to 17, records him saying, In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. I guess another way of saying that would be, not only would people notice through nature that God exists, but that God has provided the daily necessities of life, and that people observing this would come to the conclusion that as they experience the ordinary events of life, that God is constantly caring for them, providing for them in their necessities. Well, you don't need a Bible to observe that. Well, Paul makes a very similar statement in Romans 1, 19 to 20. There he speaks about what can be known about God, that is, known about God apart from Scripture. Well, let's read the text. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So apparently we know something about the nature of God, or what we might call the attributes of God, simply by observing nature. What we would learn is the distinction between the natural order and the Creator. The difference is between the visible and the invisible. 
Furthermore, we might contemplate the wisdom and the power of the Creator, and we might grow in that knowledge the more we discover about the world in which we live. For instance, in our day, simply knowing that DNA is information and that the information, like a software package on your computer, informs the organism in its development. I mean, it's fascinating. The wisdom, the design, the structure with which God created. You do learn something of his consistency, his orderliness, his power, and the wisdom of God. And there is more. According to Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, God has put eternity into men's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, if I understand that passage, it is saying that there's not only an inner sense of an awareness of God that all human beings possess, even apart from observing nature, but also an inner sense of eternity, or that life continues beyond the present existence. This is seen by the fact that no human culture has ever developed without some sense of life after death. There's an inner sense of an afterlife that is everywhere present. However, there is a problem. Unaided by divine insight, people simply cannot understand God's purposes in the creation or what God is up to or what he might have created for or what designs he might have in eternity. And if we think about it, it's quite possible to look at the creation and also have an inner sense of an awareness of God and not know whether God is good or evil or whether he is capricious as the Greeks and the Romans thought about their many gods and goddesses. We might see God's provision in providing us with food, but we might also see the prevalence of disease and natural disasters and the eventuality of death and struggle with what kind of a creator put all these things into place. Some attributes of God would be easily grasped, but others, well, we'd have to make guesses. And much of that would depend on how we experience life, whether our life has turned out well or not. So even if there was no Bible or no sense of the gospel, we would still know that God exists and that he providentially cares for us and that we have an inner awareness of an afterlife and that it would at times creep into the edges of our awareness and we would know of something greater than ourselves and we would have a natural reflex and that is to worship. Now, there is more. Without a Bible, we also have an awareness of morality. Paul explains that in Romans 2, 14 and 15. He says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Conscience is not the product of our upbringing alone. You don't think stealing is wrong because your parents punished you for doing so. You actually think stealing is wrong because that impulse was hardwired into your humanity. It's a part of the image of God. It's who you are. See, I think C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, discussed this as well as anybody. So let me quote from that book. He said, everyone has heard people quarreling. I believe we can learn something very important from listening to the kind of things that they say. They say things like this, how'd you like it if anyone did the same to you? Or, that's my seat, I was there first. Or, leave him alone, he isn't doing you any harm. Or, or why should you shove in first? Or, give me a bit of your orange, I gave you a bit of mine. Or, come on, you promised. People say things like that every day, said Lewis, educated people as well as uneducated, and children as well as grown-ups. 
Now, what interests me about all these remarks is that the man who makes them is not merely saying that the other man's behavior does not happen to please him. He's appealing to some kind of standard behavior which he expects the other man to know about. And then, reflecting upon that, Lewis adds another insightful point. He says, there have been differences between moralities of cultures, but these have never amounted to anything like a total difference. If anyone will take the trouble to compare the moral teachings of, say, the Egyptians, Babylonians, Hindus, Chinese, Greeks, and Romans, what will really strike him will be how very like they are to each other and to our own. And then Lewis gives a number of examples, and I'll supply one of them. Men, he said, have differed with regards to what people you ought to be unselfish to, whether it was only in your own family or to your fellow countrymen or everyone, but they have always agreed that you ought not to put yourself first. Selfishness has never been admired, not in any culture. And why is that? It's because we have an inner sense of morality. Yes, conscience can be twisted, it can be ignored, whole civilizations can begin to make virtues out of evil, but conscience in some form always remains, even without a Bible. And that's why there are some people who are not believers who will act virtuously on a number of points. It's a part of being in the image of God. Now let's take this system of thought one step further. Can people be reconciled to God? Can they have their sins forgiven without a Bible? You know, there are some who would say yes. They say that because in the Old Testament, Abraham was justified by faith long before there was ever a written word of God. And if that happened to him, why not others? And that's how the argument goes. And all that gets at the question of the necessity of the Bible. How badly do we need the Bible? So much depends on the answer to that question. You know, and when we come back, I'm going to answer that important question, and I'm going to help us to see why we so desperately need a Bible and why we can't do without one. It's true that before the Bible existed as we know today, people could still function and have a sense of a God out there, whether through creation, conscience, or a sense of eternity. But on the other hand, we know that knowledge of the one true God cannot just come from general revelation. So what does God's Word have to do with His plan of salvation? Dr. Neufeld will get to that issue right after the break. Today we want to share a unique opportunity to impact our nation and the world with the Gospel. The world has come to our doorstep and never has there been a greater opportunity to share the Gospel to all those who are making Canada their new home. Back to the Bible Canada is launching its new international ministry initiative, and it begins right here at home with the daily Bible teaching program of Dr. Neufeld, translated into three key languages beginning with Mandarin, and to be broadcast online through podcast and mobile application, the most accessible mediums of our day. Your support allows the launching of this new initiative to a national and global audience, and today, the impact of your gift can be doubled. Your international gift this month will be matched up to $25,000 by others who share our vision for Bible teaching and the desire to maximize this great ministry opportunity around the world. So call us today with your gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. If you've been following this series, 
We said that the Bible is the written word of God given for us. God has spoken and his words were recorded. But just before the break, I made mention of Abraham's justification by faith, meaning that Abraham was forgiven and cleansed of his sins through faith in God long before there was a written Bible. But in here it is important that we think clearly through this matter. Abraham was saved by the word of God. You may remember that God himself appeared to Abraham and made great and precious promises to him. That is, God spoke and Abraham believed and God counted Abraham's faith in what God had said as righteousness. Now, in order to answer the question of how God could forgive Abraham of such sins as selling his wife to a harem and the worshiping of other deities before he met the one true and living God, well, the answer to that has something to do with the nature of God. God had already determined that he would send his son into the world to die for all who trusted in him. And even though Abraham knew nothing of how Christ would one day die on a cross for his sins, yet because God had already determined that a cross would happen, Christ's future death, which was a certain thing, forgave Abraham's sins. What Abraham needed is for God to speak to him and make him promises, and in response, Abraham would believe. And this is the point. People don't get right with God by observing there is a God, or from nature, or even by responding to the demands of conscience and by attempting to live morally. People get right with God when God speaks to them, offers them forgiveness, and they believe his promise. Unless God reveals himself to them, they cannot be saved. Now consider the description of this matter in Hebrews 11, 24 to 27. There it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, why would he do that? Why would he reject the riches of Egypt? Well, let's read on. He considered the reproach of Christ, or he considered the reproach of the Messiah, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now, what did Moses know about the Messiah? Well, remember that his mother was given the task of breastfeeding him and nursing him and raising him and then bringing him back to Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, unlike the movie that we might have seen, the Bible says that Moses was always aware of his heritage, and that's because his mother had discipled him. And she would have told him that immediately after the fall, God had made a promise that a Messiah was coming who would crush the head of the serpent. And Moses had heard the promise and believed the promise and entrusted his future to that one thing. See, Moses received salvation because he believed in the declared word of God or the things that God had spoken. Let me say that again. No one ever got to heaven by observing the heavens or the creation. The only way to get right with God is to hear the word of God and believe it. Now, with that framework, let's listen to Romans 10, 13 to 17. There it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
Now notice that according to this passage, at least five things need to happen in order to be saved. First, unless you call on the Lord, you will not be saved, but if you do, you will. Of course, within the wider context, this calling on the Lord is to call upon Him for mercy, to recognize the debt of our own sin, and to believe that He has made provision for mercy and that the provision is found in the cross. It's very much like the sermon Peter gave on the day of Pentecost, and you'll remember the people shouted out, what must we do to be saved? That is, how can we be saved from the dreadful weight and condemnation of our sins? And Peter answers, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the calling that must happen. Now, second, people can only call on the name of the Lord Jesus if they believe in him and believe that he has the power to forgive them. And thirdly, notice, people cannot believe unless they hear of him. And fourth, people cannot hear unless someone tells them about the Lord Jesus. And fifth, that unless the gospel is preached, no one can be saved. Of course, even the preacher cannot go unless the preacher has been prepared to preach. And that preparation happens when the preacher himself or herself is aware of all that Jesus has done. And that's proclaimed in the Bible. Now, put it plainly. Either a person will read the gospel for himself or herself in the Bible, or hear it from another person who has studied the Bible. But without the Word of God, without God speaking, no one can be saved. And since the Bible is the written Word of God, if the Word of God were not there, no one could be saved. See, every once in a while, I'll hear Christian people arguing about what happens to someone who has never heard. Now, here's my answer, and you can take it for all that's worth. See, I don't know if at the point of death, Christ personally appears to all people and proclaims the gospel, or whether he appears to no people at all, or whether he appears to some people. I don't know that, and you don't know it either. But I do know this, that outside of explicit faith in Christ, no person can be saved. As Peter said in Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Were it not for the revelation of Christ in the Bible, no one would be saved. That's simple. So how necessary is the Bible? Well, if you count the eternal destiny of the human race as of having any value at all, then at least acknowledge that if this book goes away, there can be no faith. Since we need the Word of God in order to believe, and since God's Word is this book, then we respond by saying that without a Bible that gets continually read and studied and taught and preached, men and women will not be saved. But of course, there is more. Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that would indicate that our daily life is nourished by the speech of God. Again, since we know that the Bible is the speech of God, we need the Bible to maintain our faith, to grow in our faith, and to learn to live as God wants us to. 1 Peter 2, verse 2 tells us, Like newborn babes long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. So in context, that milk is the Word of God, and it is imperative to daily receive it, or our spiritual lives will be stunted. See, I've met many a man or a woman who has fallen into long-term sin simply because they have not nurtured their lives on a regular diet of the Word. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you, with a result that I might not sin against you. 
The Holy Spirit daily reminds us of the word we have studied, and that word provides us with a restraint against the fierce power of the flesh and the downward tendency to abandon our Creator and the promises He has made towards us. And if you are going to grow in holiness and love for God, the Bible is necessary. But what of those times when the Bible was not available, as the times before the printing press? And there was a time in the history of the church when the pulpits rang out with a reading and then an explanation and an application of the Bible. That's why in 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul writes Timothy and all preachers that you are to do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker that has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth that is in teaching. And then in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, Paul says, preach the word. And when the church gets together, make sure you're hearing not what is faddish or contemporary or the current philosophical thinking of the day, but that you're hearing the word of God. That's why in the Middle Ages, when the word was forbidden, those days were called the Dark Ages. So without the Bible, we will launch back into the Dark Ages. Countless men and women will be eternally lost. The light of God's truth will eclipse and the very purpose for our lives will be lost. How essential is the Bible? We can't live without it. John, today's message has been really helpful. The importance of getting into the Word, and it's the Word that provides us our message of salvation, and we're so grateful for that. But it also says something else. It says something to us as Christians in the importance of declaring the Word of Christ. Yeah, I think we've almost talked ourselves into believing that it's possible for someone to be reconciled to God without the Bible, the gospel, or for someone to share it with them. But the clear testimony of Scripture that it's not, unless we have a direct revelation from God, which is what we have in the Bible and the gospel, no one can be saved. Therefore, the the necessity of evangelism, uh, the necessity of God's people to know the Bible well enough to be able to share it with others, this is the only hope that they have for eternity. And I think that unless we start to see that and believe that, we're never going to make evangelism a priority. So is the Bible necessary? Oh, yes, it is essential. As we've reflected on the necessity of the Bible, I think the statement is a fitting summary, that were it not for the revelation of Christ in the Bible, no one would be saved. Only God's Word has the power to save, restore, and build us into men and women of faith. So are you living by the words that proceed from His mouth? I hope that today's message has blessed and encouraged you to pursue a lifelong journey to depend upon the Word of God in your daily walk. Only two more messages remain of this series with Dr. Newfeld, so be sure to tune in again tomorrow as we look at the sufficiency of the Bible. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. February 28th will be the last day to participate in our International Ministry Match Campaign. Our international efforts include our partnership with Back to the Bible India, providing Bible teaching programming throughout India, much of Asia, including the Middle East and China. It also provides funding for our annual Pastors Bible Teaching Conferences, the next two taking place in Delhi and Hyderabad in June of this year. Your efforts allow these important ministry initiatives to take place 
whereby thousands are discipled, pastors are instructed, and the Word of God is taught. Also, your participation provides critical resources for the launching of the daily Bible teaching program translated into key international languages available both nationally and globally, beginning with Mandarin. Join us this month for our International Match campaign and see your donation doubled up to $25,000. So call today at 1-800-663-2425 or give online at backtothebible.ca.